0: Well, hey, Mercy Church, can we start by just thanking the Lord um, for what he's doing in Catherine's life? Man, Uh, I, I love it. Man, you step out, you trust the Lord, you ask him for strength to what he's called you to. And man, as we say often, won't he do it, right? Won't he do it? Uh, If you got a Bible, go ahead, get it out, turn to Acts chapter two. Hey, if you're newer here around Mercy Church, let me say first, what an honor it is to us as a local church here that you would trust us enough to come here and and explore what it means to to know God and to explore faith and everything. We don't take that lightly. We're very glad that you are here. And listen, if you don't own a Bible, um, you can pick one up out in the lobby. It's our gift to you you on your way out for today. Um, I'll have all the Bible verses up on the screens for you to follow along. All right. Um, We're continuing our series through the book of Acts called You Are Sent. And one of the things we said uh, the very first week, we're going to keep saying throughout this series that the church is a movement. It's to be a movement. And what we said about movements is, well, movements move. Right, And the church is designed by God to function as a movement of people that you, you lock arms with and you go forward with and you are changed by God as you're moving. Much like we saw in Catherine's story, you are changed by God as you trust him, you step out in faith with some other people and you move and that's where God does his greatest work in you. This is not to be, the church is not just to be a place that you sit and consume, but a movement A movement. And what we saw was the the early church was one of the most unlikely, unexpected movements the world's ever seen. When it arrived, people hadn't seen anything really like it. That's what we saw that first week. Last week, we saw the mover behind the movement. We saw that's the Holy Spirit. We're introduced to the Holy Spirit at Pentecost because we saw this ragtag group of Galileans, if you remember, that had this mighty impact on the world. Why? Well, it's because God came down and resided in them and chose to do his work through Jesus' followers. Y'all, today, I don't know if you can tell, this is not only because of caffeine intake, I am excited about today because today we're getting into the message of the movement. We've had the movement we've talked about the mover. Today we're talking about the message. It's in Acts chapter two, a relatively short message. And at the end, there is an extraordinary response, an extraordinary thing happens. And as we look, I want to try and show you today the simple, powerful gospel of Jesus Christ, because it was this message that shook the world and turned it upside down. The day Peter preached this message we're looking at today, 3,000 people responded in belief. They went public with that belief through baptism. And I'm going to give you a chance towards the end to go public in that same way to be baptized as a public declaration of your faith. You saw a card when you came in on your seat It talks about um, you being baptized, just a simple indicator that says, I'm ready to get baptized, got your name, phone, email. We're gonna cover that later. But listen, on the 28th and 29th of September, Mercy's gonna all be worshiping together at our Providence Road campus, uh, one time on Saturday night, and then two times on Sunday morning, same service all three times. And we're gonna do baptisms at every service. And this is your time. I'm gonna go ahead and kind of put the end of the sermon right here. For some of you, this is your time and you need to take this step along with several others here who need to take it with you. I'm gonna walk you through that towards the end of the message. But listen, the gospel that you're about to hear, the apostle Peter, the guy who preaches it, he's later gonna write a letter. It's later in the New Testament, 1 Peter. And he's gonna say that the angels themselves long to get a glimpse, just a glimpse, of this gospel message. Because it it's the heart of God that we're seeing here. It's the core of the Christian faith and it's directed towards you and I. This is a beautiful, sacred thing that we get to look into today. So let's get, y- y'all ready? You ready to get into this? Here we go. We're gonna start in verse 14. We're gonna go to verse 41 and I'm just gonna walk us through this thing, okay? So it starts in verse 14. Peter stood up with the 11 raised his voice and proclaimed to them. Now, before I tell you what he said, real quick, I don't want to take long, but I want to talk about Peter, the preacher. Again, I don't want to take long because Peter's message is about Jesus, not about Peter. But I hope it encourages you like it encourages me that God chose Peter to preach the gospel for the first time. Because this guy had... Uh, He had a history of not living up to expectations. Let's say it that way. Some serious fails when it comes to following Jesus. At one point, he was so naive and and so prideful at the same time that he told Jesus that Jesus was in the wrong about what he was saying. Jesus. He told Jesus. And Jesus looks and responds and says, hey, get behind me, Satan. This is what Jesus tells Peter. Now, listen, I know you've had some bad days. (laughs) but has Jesus Christ ever called you Satan? Like, that's a bad day. And what we see is not only does he have these epic fails, he just has temperamental faith, right? He'll trust Jesus enough to jump right out of the boat and onto the water when Jesus says, come and walk to me. And he'll start walking on water, but then he starts to doubt because he feels the wind, and so he starts to sink. But then another time, he says, I'll never deny you, and he's really strong in his faith, and then... Three times in one night, he denies Jesus. This is our preacher, which is why I love it, of course. I hope you do, because God loves using a mess like you and me to show off his glory. You know why Peter, this is big, big for the whole series. You know why Peter has the courage to stand up here and do this? The Holy Spirit is with him. God is moving and working through Peter which is how someone so wishy-washy became so confident in God that he delivers an incredibly powerful sermon that is very offensive to the culture that he's preaching it to. It's how he performed signs and wonders. It's how he led the movement forward. And ultimately, it's how he had the courage to be crucified upside down in Rome when he was asked again to deny Jesus. And this time he says, no, I can't. In this series, I'm telling you, It's revealing over and over as we read Acts, we're gonna see that same power is available to you and I because the same Holy Spirit is promised to you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's one of the, the big things I want us to leave with this and when we get out of this series is that God is with you. He's the mover and he's with you, okay? Now, here's what he says. Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. All right. Now, let me give you some context, um, because some of you weren't really locked in, and then you heard me say drunk, and you looked up, and you're like, who's drunk? What's happening now? Um, Look, last week, um, we talked about the Holy Spirit comes down. We saw at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down, and everyone there, all of the disciples start speaking the gospel in different languages, proclaiming the message to Jews that had gathered from all over the world. It's a remarkable scene. Again, you have to go back and listen to last week's sermon if you want to hear more on it, but some of the spectators are like, wait a minute. These guys are a bunch of Galileans. They had never, uh, it, you know, it's likely that most of them never really traveled very far. How can they know these languages from all over the world? There's no way they can know that. This must be drunken nonsense. And Peter says, "No, they're not drunk. It's 9 a.m. on a Sunday." And they respond, "Have you ever been to a Panther tailgate?" Now, <laughs> okay. Okay, I know. All right. Listen, that don't like do that. Okay. You shouldn't be drunk with wine. You should be drunk on the Holy spirit. That's what Peter's getting at here. That's Ephesians five. That's another sermon. All right. But look, he says, no, no, this is God showing up to make good on what he said a long time ago. And then Peter does something he's going to do three times today. He starts quoting the old Testament and showing us how the old Testament was actually talking about Jesus which by the way, is how we are to read the Old Testament. So we get a little Bible study training inside of Peter's sermon about the gospel. And that is that the whole Old Testament, it's a bunch of stories that seem like they might be isolated. No, they're all telling one grand story and it's pointing us to our need for Jesus and who he is, okay? That's what's happening here. So Peter says, all right, the prophet Joel said this. Here's what he says, verse 17. It'll be in the last days, he's quoting Joel, It'll be in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And I'll even pour out my spirit on my servant in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. That's what's happening right now, Peter's saying. Men and women are prophesying, What was spoken about in Joel is now coming true. What we saw last week in this case, they're proclaiming their content of their prophesying is they're proclaiming the gospel of God's saving work. And what will happen as we keep going through Acts is they're going to, we're going to see where they dream dreams and have visions. And we'll talk about that as they come. And what Peter's saying is the last days are here. The spirit is on all people. Then he keeps going. Verse 19, he keeps quoting Joel. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Okay, so Peter's saying the last days are here, but the last days aren't over yet because we haven't seen all of the last days yet. Peter's saying, basically, we're living in the last days, but we're not living in the last day. Christians will sometimes talk about our present age as the already not yet, kind of a, a little quick way of describing the age we live in. Christ has already made a way of salvation, but he's not yet come to fully rule the world. He's the king who is coming. He's not here yet, which means there's time. And that's what we're gonna see in Peter and we are going to see all the apostles. There's a sense of urgency about them. There's time, there's a limited time, but there's time where you can still receive his forgiveness. And he finishes quoting Joel, by acknowledging what happens to those who do call on the name of the Lord. Look at verse 21. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They'll be saved. And listen, I, it depends on if you have a church background or not, if that word sounds kind of Christian-y or churchy, but we need to get a clear grip on that word today. The saving is saving from judgment coming on all those who reject the one true God. That's what Peter's saying here. So Peter then, having said that, laid that down, explaining what was going on with all those tongues. He's now going to go into explaining who Jesus is. He's going to transition out of Joel, and he's going to say this, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, all these people gathered around, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man, attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. I want to emphasize something right there. Jesus, Peter is telling us, was a man. He, uh, if you catch this, he really wants to make that point. He says, just even to start with, Jesus of Nazareth. He's given a hometown. He's not just saying, Jesus Lord at this point, Jesus of Nazareth, he wants to show you that hometown, just like Paul had Tarsus as a hometown. Spence has Greensboro as a hometown. He's got a backstory. And he's saying, look, he was a man, flesh and blood. And you were there for all the miracles that he did. You saw them. You saw him. Why does it matter that he was a man? Listen, the whole idea of the gospel is that Jesus died as a substitute for other humans. So he had to be a human to be a substitute for other humans. But he wasn't just any man, Peter says. He was a man attested to us by God. And by now, Jesus has already claimed to be God, God in human form. He has to be God. He has to be God in human form because only God has the power to take away everyone's sins. And he has to be human to pay for the sins of humans. Verse 23, though he was delivered up. According to, oh, this is so rich. According to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail them to a cross and kill them. God knew. He knew we needed saving from our sin. I, I need you to, I'm going to say I need you to hear this a lot. because This is the gospel. Okay, I want you to soak this in. Jesus' crucifixion did not surprise Jesus, nor did it surprise God the Father. God set this plan in motion long ago. In fact, almost every step of Jesus' life, death and resurrection are fulfillments of those Old Testament prophecies from long ago. Yet God doesn't let us off the hook. Peter says that you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God didn't kill him, we did. And very important to the gospel, Jesus died. He was put in a tomb, He was dead. He wasn't asleep. He wasn't badly injured. He was hung on a cross until he breathed his last breath. Then a soldier stuck a spear into his side and spilled out blood and water. It was a disgraceful, humiliating execution, and it worked. He died. And I emphasize that like I do so that we can receive Peter's next words with the force that we should. Verse 24, God raised him up ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. I love how simple Peter's statement is. God raised him up. Why? Because it wasn't possible for death to hold Jesus. He died, but death couldn't keep him. Peter's evoking imagery, almost like, like a prison. It was just impossible for the gates of prison to hold Jesus. Jesus. God will not be held by Jesus. The curse of sin has no hold on our God. This you see, this is where we Christians get our hope from. We believe our God has power over death. He brings Jesus to life and he promises new life to everyone who believes. And we need that new life. We need the chains of sin that hold us down to be broken. And then Peter goes into a second Old Testament passage out of that to reinforce his point. All right, first one was in Joel. Now he's going to jump over to Psalm 16. Here's what he says, verse 25. For David says of him, David's the author of Psalm 16. And then he starts quoting. I saw the Lord ever before me because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have received, you have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. So if you go and look up Psalm 16, that would be verses eight through 11. Remember, he's talking to a mostly Jewish audience that even though they've come from every kind of corner on the planet and gathered, they would be unified in their familiarity with the Old Testament, especially the Psalms. And Peter says, okay, guys, think about what Jesus, uh, what David said for a second. David said, You'll not allow your Holy One to see decay. Logic says there's no way this could be about David. In fact, he goes into that log- logic in verse 29. Brothers and sisters, now this is Peter talking. I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So, David couldn't have been talking about David. Verse 30, since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades and his flesh did not experience decay. Peter's saying, David wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about the Messiah, a descendant of his who would die, y'all, who would die, but it doesn't say he would experience death. (laughs) Excuse me, it says he wouldn't experience death. Sorry, it says he wouldn't be left there in the grave. He wouldn't stay long enough to see decay. Whoever the Messiah is, the grave would only be a brief pit stop. He won't be there long enough to experience any of death's lasting effects on him. His body won't be subject to the curse of death. In fact, instead, he's going to reverse the curse of death. Instead of decay, he's going to rise glorified. He looks better coming out of the grave than he went coming in. Who is that? Verse 32, God raised this Jesus, and we are all witnesses of this. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who got out of the grave. He went and crucified, but he came out glorified. That's what Jesus does. He reverses the curse of sin and its effects. And because he did this for us, man, the apostle Paul is gonna say later, this right here, that resurrection, that's where the power to walk in freedom from sin comes from for us. The resurrection of Jesus is the rally cry For Christians, for how we walk, how we live out the Christian life, how the movement moves. Look what Paul says in Romans 6. How can we, Christians who died to sin, because we share in what Jesus did, how can we who died to sin sin, still live in it? Or are you unaware? Because that must be the case. Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, so we too can walk in newness of life. It's where we get the power to walk away from sin. It's the thing that we, we look at one another and we remind each other of. We have new life. In baptism, you are declaring my old self is dead. Hear this clearly, church. The gospel message is not that you need improvement. Jesus is not here because you are some fixer upper in need of a good contractor. He is not some self-improvement coach. He's here to tell you that you need a whole new life, not just an overhaul, a new life. And the only way you'll find the salvation your soul craves. The peace from the the striving that you keep going through and the anxiety you go through, the meaning you keep searching for. The only way to that new life is through the death of the old one. And in baptism, it's a beautiful symbol of baptism. You go into the water, not the dirt. You go into the water because Christ went into the dirt for you. And then you come out, Sharing in his newness of life. And Paul says, we, we, all of the pronouns there are plural, because when you receive new life in Christ, you receive a community of people who have done the same. That's why when people get baptized around here, we celebrate more than we do anything else. We celebrate because we are now together, walking forward in the power of the resurrection together. We say, remember your baptism yeah. throughout the course of, of our days. We need each other in those moments. We need each other to look in the eye and say, what are you doing? Why are you trying to crawl back into the grave? Christ has brought you out and given you new life. And that's what we do as the body of Christ together. Now watch how Peter lands the plane. Verse 33. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see in here, for it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, he's now quoting Psalm 110, this third and final time, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Very important to the Christian message. He didn't just rise from the grave so he could die again later. Jesus, not David, Jesus ascended into heaven. Again, quoting Psalm 110, the only way to make sense of the phrasing, the Lord said to my Lord, is if God is talking to God. And the only way that makes sense is if the man Jesus Christ is also God. So Peter says, Jesus, fully God, fully man, ascends into heaven, and he sits down at the right hand of God, the Father, where he will stay until he comes back to make all his enemies his footstool. And then Peter, y'all, just drops the mic with the last verse. Therefore, Let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. It's a very heavy word, isn't it? Know for certain. Hear it, receive it, take it in. God has made this Jesus, whom you killed, Lord and Messiah, the anointed one sent to bring salvation to all mankind. And then he stops and watch their response. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do pierced to the heart? See that that phrasing there? That's the impact of the message. What does it mean? It means that what's happening to them is exactly what Jesus said would happen when the Holy Spirit comes. It's what Jesus talked about over in John 16. The Holy Spirit would convict of sin, which means the Holy Spirit would act kind of like a lawyer. I mean, think courtroom language, cross-examining you and exposing the inconsistencies and the beliefs that you've been building your life around, exposing them to be false, exposing them to be insufficient so that you can finally be confronted with what is true. And so the rest of our time this morning is answering two questions. What was it about this message that caused them to be pierced to the heart? And what did they do in response? Why were they pierced to the heart? Two reasons. First, they realized that they had been wrong about Jesus. In their day, just like ours, there were people who had a bunch of different opinions about who they wanted Jesus to be maybe a prophet that they could kind of admire, a political ruler that they could put their support and backing behind, hoping that he would conquer everything else and overturn Rome, or maybe just a a charlatan and a fake that they could dismiss. But Jesus wouldn't allow any of that. He claimed to be God, both Lord and Messiah, And he demanded his followers submission to him as Lord. He went so far as to offer forgiveness for sins. This was extremely offensive to Peter's audience and to all the Jews at the time. It's ultimately what they crucified him for. He claimed to be sent by God to save sinners. And he had the audacity to claim he was the only way. And every step of the way, people tried to quiet him down. What Peter is saying happened in the resurrection is that God made a declaration over Jesus once and for all. He is Lord. He is Messiah, the only savior for your sin. Here's the reality. Our culture would prefer we approach Jesus the same way that he was a good teacher or even a prophet or an option for you to worship. Christianity doesn't get offensive until it says, no, no, he is the only option. And then it gets real offensive, real fast. And I think you guys know that. And listen, on top of that, many, the way many people in the Bible belt are wrong about Jesus is by thinking, we wouldn't say it out loud, but we operate this way, thinking that he's satisfied with our lip service to him when he demands our whole life. He, that, by that, I mean, you agree with the things that I'm probably saying this morning and you nod with your head, but he's not Lord of your life. Because when it comes to real decisions, Jesus isn't so much Lord. He's more like a consultant and you check and you see what might he think. But at the end of the day, it's going to be up to you and what you want. But y'all, Peter is pulling those hearers and he's pulling us to the point of a decision. Did Jesus get out of the grave? Did he get out of the grave? Think about Peter's setting. This is like two months after the crucifixion. It's in the same town where it happened. People listening were pierced to the heart because they're realizing, look, the resurrection, it it couldn't really have been a hallucination. There were hundreds of eyewitnesses to this thing. Minimum 500. Most likely a lot more. Couldn't be a lie. Because after all, what do they gain from it being a lie? Certainly not power or money. The apostles eventually die as broke martyrs for believing this. So they're pierced. The Holy Spirit, God comes over them, reveals Jesus to indeed be Lord and Messiah. We were wrong about Jesus. We wanted him to be one thing, but he got out of the grave and that makes him another thing. And the question I have for you is, are you open to Jesus being who he says he is? there's a second reason they were cut to the heart. They realized they were the ones responsible for the death of Jesus. Y'all, Peter lays the burden of guilt on his audience a couple of times. Verse 23, you use lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. Verse 36, God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Obviously everyone in the crowd didn't have an active role in Jesus's death. Many of them weren't even there at the time. They just now come in days, weeks later. But he's saying everyone there did play some kind of role in it. In fact, verse 39, he's saying the message that he's preaching is not just for his hearers, it's for people all over the world and their children. It's for you and me. And it's for Peter. You go back to the Gospel of Luke, Peter is able to lock eyes with Jesus while Jesus is being beaten and mocked, punished. And he realizes, Peter has this moment that he realizes that Jesus is being beaten for his betrayal. And that pierces Peter's heart. Everyone listening to Peter is now coming to the same conclusion that Peter had. We did this. Y'all, the Bible says Jesus died for our sin, wounded for our transgressions. And when you're pierced to the heart, you realize that what Jesus did, he did for you. It was for your rejection of him, your rebellion against him, you choosing your way over his way. My old pastor used to say this way, he said, listen, before you, before you're pierced to the heart by this, before it really hits you down at your core, you think of sin as breaking God's rules. But afterwards, after you're pierced, you see that it's also breaking God's heart. You see God as a father calling his children home. You realize we resisted his son that was sent for us. And when his son persisted, we killed him. Have you gone through this? Have you been pierced to the heart or maybe just you've been going through the motions of the Christian faith? For me, it happened when I was 12, it was in very much a setting like we're in right now. And the guy preaching said, simply your sin has condemned you to death apart from Christ, my sin. Then the cut to the heart happened, my rebellion, my caring more about what my friends thought about me than what God thought about me, what Christ thought about me, my mocking Jesus in order to get laughs and approval, my rebelling against my parents. But it was there in that moment, I just realized that I saw Jesus like Peter did that image of him beaten and bloodied looking at me, almost as if I had Peter's eyes seeing Jesus looking at me. This was for me. Has this happened for you? Look, you have to deal with Jesus personally. You can't come to God on the faith of your parents. If that's your story and you grew up around church, you can't come to God on their faith. You can't come to God via attendance and participation in Christian and church activities and programs. You have to see your sin for what it is and realize that you need saving. Now, what did they do in response? Verse 38, Peter replied, I'll tell you what to do. Repent and be baptized. Each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3000 people were added to them. It's awesome. Repent, let me walk you through what he said right there, especially in verse 38. This means to turn, to decisively, listen to me, repent, to decisively and permanently change directions. So it's taking on a whole new view of who God is and how you relate to him. It's saying, I was wrong. I'm turning from that wrong way of seeing Jesus. You cannot repent until you acknowledge that you are in sin, that you have sinned, that you have been looking the wrong way and living the wrong way. But then you turn, and when you turn, here's what's beautiful. You receive the forgiveness the cross offers you. This is amazing. The very act of betrayal that put Jesus on the cross is also the act up on the cross that gives you forgiveness. So when you repent, you see the weight of your sin, but then you turn and you see the, the weightierness, the, the goodness of the cross. And the goodness of the cross outweighs your sin. Your heavenly father who loves you, he, you start to see he's been coming after you and now he's made a way. You see what he's been doing all along and now you're ready to come home to repent. It's also to recognize, not only is he the only way, but it's to recognize the lordship of King Jesus. It's not about becoming a better person. It's not about becoming a little more religious. It's about recognizing he's in charge and you're surrendering to him. You're receiving his offer to be your savior. And listen, that's something you've either done or you haven't. This is the line in the sand. You can't have him as savior and not have him as Lord. Have you done that? Too many people grew up in the, the, I'm a Christian because I'm around Christianity. I'm not Jew, I'm not Muslim, I must be a Christian because that's my culture. No, that's not how this works. You have to repent and receive the forgiveness of Christ. Have you done that? That's the step that I know. Some of you have been exploring this for a while. You've been hearing it. And today the Lord is piercing you to the heart. And that's the response you need to make. In fact, I want to stop right here for a second. I want to stop right here. I actually want to lead us collectively in a time of prayer so that some of you can pray that prayer and surrender. You can repent and you can receive So, would you bow your head and and pray right now, both of our locations? Let me lead you through this prayer and you can just repeat, just use these words. If you want to use your own words, great. You can just use these too. This is the prayer of salvation we could say. You say, Jesus, today I am repenting of my sin. I confess you are my Savior. You are my Lord. Thank you for dying for my sins. I believe you died for me. I receive your forgiveness and I surrender everything to you. Thank you, God, for saving me. Father, I want to thank you for those that just prayed. God, give them the courage to do what you call them to do next. Amen. Amen. Now look up at me. Listen, Jesus says, not only do you receive forgiveness, you receive something else. The Holy Spirit who If you just prayed that, you just gave your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit has come to you. It's the beautiful thing of the Christian message. There's something that happens almost externally where you are given forgiveness, which means your name is written in the book of life. Your sins are washed away. But there's also something that happens internally. God now resides with you. And that is a very, very good, good thing. That's great news. He will guide you. He will never leave you, never forsake you thanks be to God. As you walk with him, God is with you. And Peter said, be baptized. This is the public declaration of that belief that you're crossing the line of faith and saying, yes, I believe. And I believe many of you need to take that step we just, as we've been praying, and again, we've been so thankful that the Lord is bringing people from all different walks of life to our church. We recognize that now is the time. Many of you need to take that step. Many of you have crossed the line today. Maybe some of you crossed it years ago. You just never made it public. It's time. All right, you got that card. Uh, When you came in on your seat, I want you to fill that out. Our teams are gonna talk about um, what to do with that and how to let us know as we go forward to prepare for baptism celebration at the end of the month. But listen, I recognize there's a couple of things that might be stirring in you if you're considering that decision. Maybe it's the, oh man, I know it's important to follow Jesus, but I don't know that it's that important to be baptized. Here's what I'll say. This is the command of Christ. He's Lord. He's Lord start your walk with him, surrendered to him, trusting him over you because he's gonna use obedience in these steps to prepare you for bigger steps later. Take this step. One of our pastors will follow up with you and talk with you through it. And listen, there's one other, one other thing you might be thinking alongside of that. Maybe you're just scared. Listen, in your walk with Christ, much like we heard in that uh, video right before before we got started here, you're gonna have moments that feel like, I don't know if I can do this. Am I really gonna do this? It's in those moments. It's in those spaces of trusting God and saying, yes, okay, even though I'm scared, that God works his greatest changes in you because you are trusting him with your life in those moments. Step out and trust him. I'm gonna pray again over you and then our teams are gonna come and, and close, close out our service. We're gonna to sing together and, and go forward from here. Let me pray over you. Lord, thank you for your grace. We confess today, Mercy Church, we say that if there's one banner that we're under, it's the name Jesus Christ. He is Lord, he is Savior. And we praise you for your kindness on us that you have saved us. You have made a way. You have forgiven us. We worship you. We celebrate your great, great love for us. Thank you, Father, for those that just gave their lives to you. We pray that your spirit would protect them from the evil one that would lead them to doubt. Stir confidence in your goodness, and your sovereignty, God. Stir confidence in them through your spirit. We love you, we worship you, King Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.